Well, in just a little bit, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, and uh, you have the passage there in front of you, and we're just really kind of wrapping up, and what a perfect Sunday for us to do that, this idea of being a shrewd steward. I, I want to I begin today by sharing with you a story. Norm and Donita started their marriage with the wrong motivation. Norman, being 30 years old, had had his heart broken due to the fact that he was engaged to a young lady for five years. While he traveled the world serving in the merchant marines, enjoying foreign ports of call and free living in what he considered to be plenty of money for the time. His fiancée patiently waited as Norman would re-up over and over again with the claim, Sure, honey, we will get married one day, a practice that went on for five years. Norman was not a Christian. His favorite drink was martinis. A classy, sharp, good-looking man that always had extra money and freedom. So he thought. Until he came home off the ship and found his fiancée had married the local high school band teacher. In his own words, heartbreaking depression set in. Much like Donita, who is now 20 years old and still single, which was an old maid in those days, if you can believe it. Just to survive, she had to cook on a ranch for 15 ranch hands. Morning, noon, and night. Locked into a dead-end life in the Dust Bowl of America with nowhere to go and no prospects of leaving that town with a population of only 300 people, her future was dismal. Norman, now broken-hearted and depressed, locked himself in a hotel room and drank for a week. Coming off of that, Norm is reintroduced to his little sister's best friend, Donita. Donita, feeling trapped and Norm wanting to get even, or just out of spite, asks Donita to marry him after only three dates. Their honeymoon was a disaster with no love or romance, mainly due to Norm having a flu. Donita becomes pregnant soon after and Steve is born. The marriage is a disaster and they're living with someone they don't even really know. Fights and physical abuse both ways causes what is a disruptive and destructive relationship. Norm and Donita sink into a life of materialism and alcoholism. Again, martinis being the drink of choice. So much so that years later, Norm mentions to his sons that even his aftershave stirs the old temptations. Donita becomes a hairdresser and ends up owning the largest beauty salon in Seattle, Washington, chasing the stars and materialism at every turn. Norm works for Boeing. They buy the biggest house they can, secular music, elegance, nice clothing, and a handmade bar become the centerpiece of their social life with parties to fill their emptiness. Still the hate and the fights rage on. Six years into the marriage, the second son was born. That son is me. In my first two years of life, mom and dad, Norm and Donita, are trying to decide what to do about their hateful, volatile relationship. They put on a high-class show, but down deep, they're decaying on the inside. It was something like a cancer. They were running towards self-destruction like a NASCAR headed into a cement wall. Well, one small light that was shining in the far background of each of mom and dad's lives was that they had both had been taken to Sunday school at a Nazarene church as children. During the poor, dusty years of the Depression, travel and getting from place to place was difficult. So it was not every Sunday, but it was, it was many When I was just two years old, mom and dad have a terrible fight and they're separated. What they believe for would be permanent, really, for divorce. They end up at different friends' houses on different sides of the city, which is Seattle, Washington. 
different sides of the city. And what was happening, unbeknownst to each of them, was that God was bringing back long, distant memories of Sunday school, stories of Jesus, and this hope that they remember hearing about. Each now broken and more desperate than they ever been before, their lives shattered into a million pieces, separated on different sides of the city. What happens is almost miraculous. Both Norm and Donita find themselves in these separate locations. They find themselves almost within an hour of each other. They find out later. They find themselves on their knees. And they're praying. And they're repenting of their sin. And they're asking Jesus to become a part of their lives. And they're calling out to God. And and what happens is Norm and Donita come back together. And they decide to make it work. They find a Christian church. And soon after, soon later, a Nazarene church. I believe what someone once said, I heard someone say, you know, the more you know what you've been saved from, the more you appreciate what you have in salvation. (laughs) Because with God, out of the tragedies of life, there comes a glorious morning. Mom and dad became great. They became giant churchmen, leading studies, serving on the board, and sometimes even buying cars or some extravagant blessing for pastors. The one thing that dad and mom would never compromise, though, is this principle of storehouse tithing. As parents, they made sure that when I had even a dollar, just a dollar, that I would give my 10%. One time I found a 50-cent piece in the airport, and my dad said, remember now, 10% of that belongs to God. Well, I decided in my little young mind, maybe six years old, I decided in my mind, I'm going to just keep it all for myself. Well, I fell asleep on the plane and dropped the coin, never to be found again. Huh. (laughs) There was another time, some years later... When dad had bought a restaurant, I was probably maybe 12 or 13, he had bought a restaurant and times were tough and there was no profit to speak of. In fact, there was no money in the bank at all. But feeling a sense of obligation, being a board member and all, I remember my father calling the 1-800 number to figure out how to put his tithe on his credit card. (laughs) So if it's possible, mom and dad tithed when they didn't have money to tithe. I know how that makes sense. Mom and dad had an unbreakable commitment to give, help, serve, bless the church, keeping missionaries and evangelists and pastors many different times as I was growing up. They never missed a work day at the church and often conversation around the dinner table was what we need to do as what we should be doing as a family to help the church. Every Sunday, mom invited someone to the house for lunch. I'm not exaggerating. She invited someone to the house for lunch, usually a new family, and a regular attending family. I learned something from mom and dad. By the way, they were married 56 years. They were married until Jesus called my dad home, and later he called my mom home. But what I learned from my mom and dad, folks, is that serving means something. Serving, it means something. I can't help but go to 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, where our text is this morning, Paul's really trying to be a pastor, and his observations are, are, are so well-timed and, and perfect in helping us today to understand how the believer lives in this cold world, that to live the Christian life in the world, and how to be holy in the midst of all the things that are vying for attention. And in part, it's a huge dichotomy that Paul addresses. Look at the passage for a moment. I mean, it's this huge dichotomy of, uh, of, of trying to you know understand the comfort and the joy and the peace of the Lord while at the same time, there are the troubles that we have because we are so countercultural. We are so different than what this world is about. And all of that is pulling at us and pulling down on us like some kind of riptide, like something that has a grip on us that is trying to pull us under the water. We understand this. This is what Paul understood. 
He understood that, that, that living the Christian life is, is, is just like that. In fact, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse 8, Paul makes reference to the troubles in the province of Asia. In fact, you know, some were, were kind of, you know, having trouble with the fact that Paul had taken time to arrive. It had taken him three years. But he says in so many words, really, I was fearing for life itself. This is not hyperbole. I'm fearing for life itself. And we, we look at this passage and we see that what Paul's trying to communicate is that it is his grace. It is his faith that is being tested, even in the midst of his life being threatened. And, and, and so his words are not just, you know, pious, baseless, religious thinking, you know, trying to say, OK, you know, I was doing spiritual things. That's not what Paul was getting at. He, he was saying something that was more than that. It was not just useless spiritual rhetoric. It was, it, was, it was saying that, look, my life was in danger and our lives were being threatened. And I had to do this no matter what it is that you think. And I love what Paul does because only Paul could take such dismal circumstances and turn them into such a rich, meaningful lesson as he does here in this passage. And as we listen to the words of Paul, we, we then can capture Something about the idea of what it means to serve. Because serving means something. In fact, the very first slide is serving is how we lean into the grace of God. I think that that's what Paul shows us. In fact, go to Second Corinthians if you have the word today. Let's go to Second Corinthians. And we're going to chapter 1. And for this first slide, we're going to look at verse 12. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies, notice that, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Now, the truth be told, it would be easy, you know, for us to live in a state of worry. How many agree with that? That it would be easy to live in a state of worry. And, and Paul kind of alludes to this that, you know, he could easily, you know, be worried about, you know, what the people thinks, to be worried about what the church is saying, or to be worried that the fact that they think that, oh, you should have gotten here earlier, you should have arrived, you know, in a more, you know, reasonable amount of time. But you see, Paul, his lesson here is that you lean into the grace of God, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of question, even when they are trying to undermine what you're doing, you lean into the grace of God. And what does that look like? It means that you're saying, okay, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to use me in this situation? How can I be of service to you, God? Not God, how can you help me? How can you answer my prayers? But God, how can I serve you? I love the movie that was based on the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Did anybody see that movie? And it's a movie, a true story. Based on that book, well, not the book, actually, but a story that involves the book. And it's a movie of a gal who gets kidnapped. And this guy had just, I think he robbed a bank or something, and he shot somebody, and so he killed somebody. And then he grabbed her, and he kidnapped this woman. Anybody see the movie? And so he, he kidnaps this, this woman, and I think she's back in the apartment, and he's got her in the bathroom trapped there. And, and you know, when I think about that, that... That if I were in the, her shoes and I was kidnapped and there's a man that was waving a gun in my face, I think I probably would have felt a little bit sorry for myself. I would have probably had some fear going on and some tremendous emotions because I was a victim. I was kidnapped and, you know, she could have easily imploded on herself. She easily could have, you know, had all kinds of self-pity because she was a victim. She was kidnapped. But instead of being the victim, what she does is 
She begins to think, well, maybe what's God doing here? And she takes the book, the book, The Purpose Driven Life, and she begins to read to her captor. She begins to read out of The Purpose Driven Life the, the, this, this chapter and, and, and to the captors listening because they're waiting. I don't know why, you know, t- so much time passes, but she has enough time to read, you know, like a hundred pages of The Purpose Driven Life. And all of a sudden, there's something that begins to blossom and, and become alive in this, this captor, this, this thief and this murderer. And all of a sudden, he realizes that maybe God has a purpose for his life. And the movie is awesome because it leads to her release. It leads to the transformation of that man's life because she asked the question, God, what are you going to do with me right now? How can you use me, God? And I think we travel through life and we accept Christ and then we get to this place where we we stop asking the question, God, how can you use me right now? You see, the second slide makes a lot of sense. Remember, it's Paul. It's not me. We look at the second slide where I believe he is saying to us, serving is how we pass on the grace of God that God has given us. Serving is how we pass on the grace of God that God has given us. In fact, we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 again and begin at verse 13, 13 through 15. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. Now, I want to underline the last two words there. I mean, that's what I, I'd like to focus on for a moment. This idea of what it means to benefit twice. One commentary interprets this twice benefit as simply the letter that Paul is penning at the time, at that moment. And then the second, you know, uh, benefit or blessing would be when he would be physically present. And, and that makes logical sense. But for me, that seems powerless. So, so for me, I tend to think that this is more about the idea of hearing about the grace of God. Follow me now. The twice benefit. The first benefit is hearing the grace of God. The second is experiencing the grace of God. And that's what Paul wants them to experience. Wants them to experience the grace of God. And remember the context here. Paul's considering the accusation that his word is weak, that he can't be trusted. Remember, they're accusing him. You know, maybe doubting what his story is. And so in his most positive play, his best plea is, look, my testimony is my conscience. Look at the passage there. That's what he's saying. My testimony is my conscience. Even encouraging them, going so far as to encourage them to be gracious themselves. Now, what Paul knows, Paul knows this. He knows that the cynical heart always thinks, well, you say this, but you mean that. You say this, but you mean that. Have you ever thought about that? That's the cynical heart. And so Paul's position, you know, it's this lesson he gives us again. He's taking a dismal situation and making a spectacular lesson out of it. He's saying, here's the lesson about spiritual integrity is that there are no hidden meanings. There's no hidden actions, no hidden motives. I mean, the meanings are clear. There's no hidden sins. He's saying, this is, this is what it is. So Paul, he serves and he serves his fellow believers by, by giving them this lesson and teaching. And he serves the kingdom and he serves sacrificially and he serves showing and living and passing on God's grace. He's showing us that serving is how we pass on the grace that God has given us. And then look at the third screen. Here's the third screen. Serving is how we worship God. Church. 
I, I, I just want to fall into this when I begin to read this part of the passage. I just want to fall into it like when I had a, a pool. Heidi and I had a pool in Florida and I'd work in the yard. And I mean, I would be sweating. I mean, from head to tail. I'd just, you know, I, I'd just be so wet and hot. And I'd get to the pool and I'd turn around like this and raise my arms. And I'd just fall into the pool. And that cool water was just so awesome feeling. It was so refreshing. And I want to just fall into this text exactly in the same way because there's such refreshment and understanding that God, he wants to bless you. And part of that is through the action of serving. In fact, go to the passage, chapter one, looking at verse 18 and 20, chapter one, verse 18 and 20. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. In other words, we're not being wishy-washy here. But in him, it has always been yes. It's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. It's interesting how the word no seeps into ministry, into the church, and we get stuck right there. And we stop saying yes, and we stop serving, and stop doing, and stop being what it is that God has called us to. Because then we go to the next part. And so through him, amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. This is the perfect example of our affections for Christ who saves us and the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us. It is this amen that is the order in which we live. It's the covenant in which Jesus Christ has come and given his life on Calvary so that we might have everlasting life, that we might have everything. And when we receive everything then from Christ, you see, then our response is amen. You see, the order of amen is that we are serving God and we're reacting to God. And remember, our faith, what is faith? Faith is action. And so serving God is the action part of our faith. And if we have faith in God, then we are serving him. And then we worship God in the order of amen. We worship God in serving him. We worship God and serving him in the different seasons of life, in the different chapters of life, whether we are parents and our children are watching us serve him or whether our children are grown. And now we have no children at home and we are serving him and our spouse is seeing us serve him or whether we are seniors and, hey, we've served a long time. But yet, you see, in the order of all men, we continue to rise and we continue to serve. That is a part of stewardship. That we're serving God and we celebrate for those that serve. In fact, I, I, uh, I, I was delighted. I got a text yesterday uh, from some of our guys. They were here at the church and they were working their little heads off. And I know because I helped them some on Thursday and I pulled out probably a thousand screws myself. But on Saturday, these guys gathered. In fact, did I get that picture up? I had a picture. I'm not sure if I got I did. All right. Thank you so much, Heather, for doing that. I just sent that to her this morning. So anyhow, these guys, you see behind them, we have the two modular buildings. You notice what's gone? The deck. That wooden deck. There's a wooden deck between the modulars. And these guys, they spend time serving the Lord. And I'm sure they probably had a lot of fun and made a bunch of smart remarks. And there's a story that Van needs to tell you. I'm just going to say that. I'm not going to tell his story, but it's a funny story. Something happened, okay? And then Friday, Friday we come in at 2 o'clock. I came in at 2, and there's a memorial uh, dinner here at the church in the fellowship hall. And we're honored by helping honoring the memory of Jim and Elizabeth's dad. 
And I walk in the kitchen and hear some of our ladies buzzing around. Buzzing around. They're serving. They're serving the Lord. Amen. I, I, I think of those that are leading ministry and those that are leaders of ministry. And you've got your booth set up out there and your tables and you're, you're serving the Lord. In fact, if you lead any ministry at all, at all, any ministry at all, would you stand? Would you just stand right now for me? Would you do that? Anybody that's leading any ministry at all, just go ahead and stand. Don't be embarrassed. Go ahead and stand. Just everybody that's leading ministry, stand right there where you're at and just take a moment. I want, I want to just come on, Liz. You're on the church board. If you're a church board member, you're standing as well. Church board members, Raquel. Back there, you're standing, and these people are leading, and they're serving, and I want to honor them. I want to applaud them. Let's give them an applaud this morning. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good job, guys. Good job. Thank you so much for serving in the order of all men. Praising the Lord. We worship, we worship God by serving. And I believe that God is honored as we do that. I, I want us, I'm going to have the worship team come. I want you guys to go ahead and come. and We're going to have a, a moment of worship. But as we finish up and wrap up this worship time, I want to invite you, whoever you are, whatever age you are, to just make your way to the courtyard after we finish singing this closing chorus and make your way to the courtyard. And there along the sidewalks in the courtyard, you've already, you've already witnessed what's happening out there. It's our ministry fair, and there are all kinds of ministries. I want to invite you to, to reinsert yourself, to reinsert yourself in that way of serving in some capacity and walk along there. And maybe it's a different capacity than what you've ever served before. Something that's just kind of tugging there at the string of your heart, maybe in the back of your mind. I want to invite you just to serve, to jump in with both feet, be a part of what God is doing. And God will bless that. He will honor that as you serve him. And so I want to thank all of those that are serving. But it's possible that you're not serving now. I challenge you. Get reinserted. Serve the Lord. It's your order of all men. It's a way to worship God. He will bless you as you serve him. Let's do that this morning.